Welcome to Tamarindo Podcast. Hosted by me, Brenda Gonzalez, a political nerd and nonprofit capacity builder. And me, Ana Sheila Victorino, a queer well-being enthusiast and mindset coach. We are a Latinx empowerment podcast discussing politics, culture, and how to keep your calma with well-being practices and self-love. Welcome to the show. What's up, y'all? We're back. Hello, hello. Uh, welcome, everybody, to our next episode of Tamarindo. Later on in the show, we are going to have a discussion on diet culture and body positivity. Joining us for that discussion is sociology professor and intuitive eating health coach, Dr. Hortensia Jimenez, who approaches anti-dieting from an anti-oppressive social and racial lens. And also we'll have Miriam Lara Mejia, the creator of Gorda Feminista, a community of over 350,000 that focuses on making visible the discrimination, violence, and intolerance of fat phobia in the Latinx community. Fantastic conversation, which you will hear in just a moment. But before we do that, in many ways, this discussion connects to body autonomy and choice. Anna Shayla, you've shared on this podcast before how important it is for you to have the option to become a parent. And you've taken some steps recently to towards that. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where you are in the process? Yeah, I just completed the egg freezing process. Uh, it's a two-week process, and I just completed that two days ago. So I had my eggies removed and I'm recovering from that. Yeah. So I literally just finished that process. Yeah, literally a couple of days ago. So thank you for still doing this podcast, considering that you went underwent that just a couple of days ago. So I know that our listeners have asked some questions about this process. That might be something that some of our listeners right now are considering or have already done it. So I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about what are some of the things that you can expect happen to your body? Yeah. And so what I want to say is that everybody's body is different. And so that's really important to to keep in mind that what somebody else's experience is might not be your experience. Yours might be just different. Right. And so you're injecting yourself with hormones for two weeks for in order to basically stimulate the growth of, of more eggies. <laughs> and um, so what that means is that because you're injecting yourself in, with hormones, you can expect that you might have different emotional responses throughout this period. So perhaps you may notice that you are extra sensitive or that you get triggered really quickly and, and you get angry or you're really sad. So there, there is a range of emotional responses that you can have because you're shooting yourself up with hormones, but um, you might not have all really strong feelings. So it's it's it really depends on, on you. Um, let's see what else. You can expect um, potentially some headaches, some bloating. Uh, what else? Um, those are those are the the main things you can expect from your your body emotionally and physically during during the process. But what was it for you personally? How was your experience? My experience, and and people, it's interesting because when I talked to American friends, they kind of scared me about what this was going to be like, which was very different from my experience with Mexican folks. Like people in the clinic, they're like, no, you're going to be fine. Or like my Mexican friends like, no, it's going to be chill. Um, thankfully, I had a, a an overall relatively chill experience. I didn't really feel strong emotional responses from this. So I feel grateful for that. But I also was preparing myself for this, right? 
So I definitely did take some measures. I did share with close friends that I might be spending time with, both in, in order, both to, to, to be able to spend time with them, if that was something that I needed, if I was feeling sad or, or wanting company, but also to let them know that I might have responses that might be a little bit out of character in case I did go off on them, you know? I had no idea, right? And so I sort of did my best to prepare for that and uh, also, you know, preparing myself to be a little bit extra sensitive tried to be mindful of what kind of energy I was around and what I was and what I was doing. So that's kind of what, how I prepared myself for the potential emotional um, reactions. And beyond that, um, I had slight headaches, um, very limited bloating, but I just kind of took it easy. I noticed that I got extra tired. So fatigue is another potential um, symptom. Like normally I, I walk so much, exercise so much, but during this process, you're not supposed to be working out. So I didn't work out. Um, but I noticed that walking, like walking 15 minutes or 20 minutes would get me really tired. So definitely a little bit of extra fatigue for sure. Yeah. And you kind of just touched a little bit on the things you had to avoid. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of the, the recommendations? Like what did you have to do during this process or, or stop from doing? Uh, yeah. So you can't drink any alcohol. You can't smoke. You are not supposed to eat raw fish. You cannot work out. So no high intensity, no lifting, no dancing. Uh, really what they recommend is just is walking. Walking is good. It's good for your circulation. And, and that's it. So that was actually probably the hardest thing for me to 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 let go of is, is the working out. But I really didn't have time because you're also going into the clinic every other day because they're checking in to see how um, you're responding to medication. They're looking at how um, your eggs are, are growing to determine what adjustments they might make to the to the medication dosage. So, yeah, I, I feel like I, I, I basically this this time you're you're dedicating yourself to this process. <laughs> That's really yeah. what you're thinking. All you're thinking about. <laughs> did you have to slow down your your work commitments and other things? Like, did you plan for that in advance? Like, OK, I got to scale back on this and that. A little bit. Yeah, I think I just let people know this is happening because I just you just really don't know how this is going to go. And overall, I still was able to work. Um, for the most part, my regular schedule. And I think that the visits to the clinic took this, the, the place of, of, of my gym time. <laughs> so instead of an hour and a half of, of gym or two, one and a half hours to two hours in terms of like getting there, getting back, all that, that was instead dedicated to getting to the clinic and back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, what are some of the recommendations that you have for getting through this process with your well-being intact? How do you keep your calma through this? Yeah, I mean, I think and I think this is the most important thing more than anything else. It's preparing yourself emotionally for this process, because besides what's happening with with the with the hormones there's so many other things that are that are coming up right around fertility, around timing of this around. There's just so many things that, that you're thinking about th during this. And so I think the most important recommendation that I have for folks and we've talked about this on, pre on previous episodes. It's like you, you can't control. This is a time where you cannot control how this is going to go. Your body is unique. You, there's, you get these, you know, people tell you what might happen, but you have no idea. You don't know how it's going to interrupt your activities. And so it's really about letting go of really surrendering and letting go of control. Because the other thing is you really don't want to be stressed during this process. And one mistake that I feel like I made is like, oh my God, my life is going to change during these two weeks. And I tried to do the most. I was doing so, so much right up until the day that I started this. 
And I would not recommend that to folks. Like you want to go, you want to be really chill going into this. Um, and so that's, that's a recommendation because I ended up getting sick. I ended up getting sick and, and I don't know what kind of impact that had on me. So I actually had a little bit of a cold through this process because I was doing the most right before. So um, just really listen to your body, be as loving to your body as you can through this. And I mean, these are things we want to do all the time anyways, right? Like we want to, we want to listen to our body. We want to be as loving as, as possible. And this is a time to really go in and practice that and embody that and give yourself grace through what your body's feeling, what you're mentally feeling and reminding yourself also, this is not my normal experience. So let me not be hard on myself. Let me give myself grace. You're under a lot of hormones. So whatever reactions or feelings, they're not your normal feelings. Just grace, love, compassion, listening, loving. And then another important recommendation that I'm actually going to make my calma today is it's also really important to set boundaries with your family and be mindful of who you're sharing this information with. And especially specifically, because people love giving you unsolicited advice. <laughs> so my calma, and I'm kind of putting my, my, <laughs> my cousin in la basura a little, a little bit. I love him, pero <laughs> but, um, basically I was, my cousin asked me how I was doing. And I said, I'm, 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 I'm doing all right. I'm going through this process, kind of intense. And then instead of saying like, you know, how are you, how are you feeling? Like asking more questions. He's like, oh, well, you should just, you should just have a baby now because X, Y, and Z. And, um, and it was just, it really came off insensitive in to me because if I'm doing this process, I've already committed to not having a baby right now. And you're not going to help me raise this baby. So why are you telling me that you think that I should just have a baby now and that I shouldn't wait any longer, <laughs> you know? And so basically I had to tell him, you know, I'm I'm doing this because I made this decision and I know your intentions are not bad, but you're not going to raise this baby. So if I don't ask you for your opinion, opinion on what to do with my life, don't don't offer it. We're all trying. We're all making the decisions that we think are best for ourselves. And that's what I, I I'm thinking about all the pros and cons. This is a way for me to have an opportunity. I, I don't know what decision I'm going to make, but I really would appreciate your support. In, in the fact that I made this decision and just in the way that I would support how you decided whether you're going to have babies and when you're going to have them. Right. So I definitely went off a little bit on my primo, but he'd be doing that. He'd be offering unsolicited advice and I never said anything. And this time around, it really just kind of got to me and I had to. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of listeners relating to that. Now, um, kind of want to back up a little bit. Like what what is literally happening to your body? Like what is it? What are they doing every day? What does it lead up to? What's the end of this process? And then what comes next? So basically what's happening during this process is your ovaries are being stimulated with hormones in order to produce multiple eggs. Normally we would just have one egg, but the hormones make it so that more eggs are, are, are produced. And during this process, they're just growing. And at the end of it, once they get to a certain size, they're, they're retrieved. They kind of just suck them up with a little vacuum. And you go at the end of during the, the actual day of the procedure, um, they put you to sleep and it, it's a very short procedure. It's just like 30 minutes or so. I don't actually really know exactly how long it was because I was asleep and then I woke up in a different space. <laughs> but <laughs> Did that go by quickly? How did that feel? It was just like closing your eyes. I've never gone, had surgery. So I'm just kidding. Yeah, it was my like... Brenda. It was my first time, too. And I remember I was telling them, I'm like, oh, I feel kind of weird because I've never just 
am I really just going to fall asleep? Like, does this really work? And then, I mean, it, it, and then, it is true that some right. people do not, do and, well, not actually fall asleep. Well, so. I, <laughs> it's a real fear. Well, right after I said that <laughs> statement, I fell asleep. <laughs> Good. So I fell asleep. I woke up in, in a different space. And then right after, you definitely feel like you have really strong cramps and you're like connected to an IV and stuff. And they're just like monitoring your your heart rate and, and all of that and your and your blood pressure and and um and then so you do get strong pains but they give you they inject some drugs into you and they work really fast or like like 15 minutes so it wasn't <laughs> 15 to 20 minutes but yo brenda it was so funny so there was a woman next to me that came out right after me and so she was under drugs and so when you first wake up you still feel good you feel sleepy so it feels kind of nice but then the pain kicks in so the oh, girl no. next so the girl, <laughs> the girl next to me she was chilling too right she was chilling like oh, I feel great and then all of a sudden you start hearing her moaning because the pain just kicked in and so she's like in pain and like drugged and I thought I was being loud, but she was being loud. And at one point they asked her before they give her the, the drugs for the pain. They're like, oh, are you allergic to anything? And she's like, mm, no, nada más camarones. No me, van a, no me van a poner camarones, ¿verdad? <laughs> so she basically was like, I'm allergic to shrimp. You're not going to give me shrimp, are you? <laughs> so that was hilarious. hilarious. Now, were you laughing and then in pain because of the laughter? Yeah, the pain had started to subside a little bit, but it f hilarious. I was, yeah, that was the highlight of the day of the procedure. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay, and then they extract these eggs and they put them in a freezer and yeah. fridge them for you? <laughs> yeah, they basically, they put them in a lab and, and they and they hold on to them for you. And they hold on to them for, for you, I think, I don't know how many years, but you can you can hold them there for, for many you're years. You're just paying rent. You're paying rent you're for your pain, eggs, right? You're yeah. paying rent. It's a storage. Basically, you're, you have a storage <laughs> storage room for your for your little eggies for whenever you're you're ready to, to use them. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thanks for walking us through that. Um, now, what about any additional resources or anything else you want to tell us about this experience? Yeah. I mean, I think what I'll share, I'll share, I mean, I decided to do this in Mexico, so I'll speak a little bit to that. Um, I don't have insurance that would cover that in the U.S. There's very few companies. So only some of the biggest companies actually um, provide, cover this under insurance, unfortunately. So for me, it just really made sense to, to come. I mean, I'm, li I'm living here in Mexico, so I didn't actually have to, to leave. And it just made really made a lot of sense for me to do this before I left. Um, and what I paid um, was five 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 k is was what was the cost of the whole the whole thing medication procedure everything, and uh, and how I chose my fertility clinic. I mean, I just looked at different just googled fertility clinics. I wanted to go specifically to a clinic where they just dedicate themselves to that. I think you can also go you know just the doctor um, and and do it that way. But um, I think fertility clinics are really nice because they're dedicating themselves very much to that. Had really good beautiful service throughout and support throughout the process. So I definitely recommend my fertility, fertility center, which was called Fertilidad Integral. And I can put that in the notes for folks that where this might make sense for them to come to, to Mexico. Um, again, it's, it's 5k. Um, any, any other questions that I felt that I, that I, that we well, can touch on? Um, I know that you've, you've shared this with me, but um, if, if you want to share this with the listeners too, is that you're going to do this again. Yeah, I'm right, gonna, you're doing this again. I'm going to do this again. Since I'm doing this at all, I really wanted to make sure that my outcome was one that produced enough eggs for one or potentially two babies. And I just wanted to potential babies. 
And so a recommendation that I just want to give to folks that are thinking about this is if you know that you're going to wait a long time for this, or, or maybe if you're not even sure if you want to have kids, but you might, and but you think if you do that, it will be a long time from now, then what I would do is as soon as you're, you're 30, um, go and get your, get, get, see how you're doing, you know, see how you're, check your hormone levels. Um, and also don't let however things turn out be a judgment of you as a person, which I think can also, um, we can also feel, especially as, as folks that have grown up as women, because there's so much of our value that that has been tied to to us making babies, you know, traditionally. So I also want to just let people know, like this says, what however things are for you, that's not doesn't reflect your your worth or your, your value as a as a woman or a person, if however you identify, right? So I also want to share that. But yeah, go get your your hormone levels checked out because fertility is related to so many different things. Um, go get checked out. And then um, I think the ideal age generally to, to do this because it is around 34 to, to 36 is, is the ideal age um, because then our, our, our egg count starts to, to reduce much, uh, starts to go down much, much faster. So that's something to consider. And, and yeah, and you might do this twice because of so many things. Maybe you were really stressed or maybe you're a little bit older. Um, and what's, what's nice, though, is that um, the doctors, if you do it once and you have to do it again, the doctors know how you reacted to certain medicine. So you can have a much better outcome the second time by just the doctors making adjustments to your dosage. So that's something else to consider, too, if this is something that you um, decide to, if, if, if it makes sense for you to also do it twice as well. So I wanted to share those a few little things about that. Yeah, excellent. Well, thank you so much, Anishela. You've given us some great insight. I know that it's something that our listeners were curious about, and you've been very generous to walk us through it. And of course, we're hoping that you heal up right away, because I know this is very soon. You literally just had this procedure. And yeah. so hoping that everything goes smoothly this time around and the second time around. So thank you so, so much for sharing that with us. Yeah, no, for sure. And um yeah, I was feeling so I did this on Wednesday. We're recording on Friday. And then Thursday, yesterday, I was feeling awesome. And I decided to go out dancing. So uh, a recommendation for y'all, take it, take it easy. It's also very important that you take it easy for at least a week or more after this procedure. So don't do what I did and go out dancing the day after because you thought you felt amazing because this morning I'm not feeling as great. So that's my other recommendation. And the last thing I want to do, Brenda, is I want to give a matraca out to my friends, to my college friends. I have two college friends that happen to be here in Mexico City. And there's something just about the connection with with our friends from college. Like, you know, there's one that I've stayed really, really close with one of my best friends and the other one, and not as much, but it's like, we're here together and it's like, no time has passed. And they're just so down for you. There's just something about that college connection. So they really came through for me during this time. They met with me that day and, and really made me feel loved and supported. And I'm going to give a double matraca and do a Trevor Noah and give a matraca to black women. Both of my friends are, are black. One is Afro-Latina. And I'm just so grateful to black women. They've been some of my greatest teachers and inspiration. So shout out to black women. <laughs> matraca to them. <laughs> yes, always, 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 always. Okay, well, with that, thank you so much, Ana Sheila. We are going to hear from our guests, Dr. Hortensia Jimenez and Miriam Lara Mejia. You'll learn a little bit more about them in just a minute and the way that they are chipping away at the iceberg of diet culture and so much more. The month of February makes us think about love. And whether you're loving on your partner, family, or friends, don't forget to show love to the most important person in your life. That's you, boo. 
And few things are more important to take care of than when we show off every day. Nuestras caritas bonitas. Many things in life can dehydrate our skin, including weather, pollution, blue light, time spent in the sun, mask wearing, air travel, and air conditioning. But you can fight back against life's daily dehydrators with Clinique Moisture Surge 100 Hour. This supercharged gel cream hydrator delivers 100 hours of hydration for plump, glowing skin, even after washing your face. Its auto-replenishing technology helps skin create its own internal water source, delivering continuous, oil-free, and non-greasy radiant hydration. After one week, 99% of women who used it said it left their skin feeling deeply hydrated. That's a lot, y'all, 99%. And y'all know I love to stay hydrated, and that includes mi carita, especially in the winters, and yes, even in LA, y'all. So I also love that MS100 is oil-free and that its auto-replenishing technology means that even after I put it on, it's going to keep rehydrating itself, keeping me extra moistured, and that just one use and you'll see improvement in your skin radiance. I mean, what's not to love about that? So this Valentine's Day, y'all, shop Clinique Moisture Surge 100 Hour for 20% off at Clinique.com. This discount is valid through 214, so hurry up. Hello, hello, and welcome. I have Dr. Jimenez and Miriam here. Welcome to Tamarindo. Muchas gracias por la invitación. I'm super excited to share this space with you and Miriam. Yeah, it's so great. I, I, we know each other, so it feels like really fun to be in this conversation. Yes, amazing, amazing. Great people find each other on the internet. <laughs> it's very good to have you all here at Tamarindo. So I'm going to ask each of you, and I'll, I'll start with Dr. Jimenez, to just introduce yourselves, tell us who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Yes, short version. I am proud uh, Mexicana immigrante from Huichol ancestry from Nayarit. I was raised in uh, Watsonville, California, grew up working in the field. So that really, I uh, really want to say that because it really has grounded my lived experience of what it means to be a Mexicana immigrante and Latina growing up in the United States, dealing with a lot of issues that I am extremely passionate about. And that's why I do the work I do as a sociologist um, from a social and racial justice lens. And Miriam, I would love for you to also introduce yourself and tell us your why. Yeah, so my name is Miriam Lara Mejia, and I am, I grew up in Mexico, but my mom's American, so I grew up with bicultural, but in a different direction. And I grew up in a, a fat home, a fat family, um, and I have a fat body. And so that has sort of inspired a lot of my activism around this because I've gone to experience it. So now I am a body positivity educator and activist and content creator, digital creator. And um, I share, you know, sort of the idea of like coming at it from a perspective of intersectionality, of understanding how uh, uh, fat phobia and weight stigma impacts the Latino community. Yes, very good. Thank you for, for sharing that. And you mentioned body positivity. So I'd like to stick with you, Miriam. How do you define body positivity? And how do you um, basically, I think you live it, we see it in your, your various accounts. So talk to us about what it means and what it means to you personally. 
Yeah, people kind of get a little kind of confused. You know, they they worry about the word, but the word doesn't necessarily mean much. You know, the idea of having a positive relationship to our body, that is body positivity. However, we have to have two different parts here. One is sort of the history of body positivity. Where did it start? How did this concept start? And we know that it starts in the body liberation movements of the 60s, right? Civil rights movement, the fat acceptance movement, the disability justice movement, the second wave of feminism, a lot of body autonomy and body liberation is what creates this idea of like, why do we have some bodies that we consider good bodies? And why do we have some bodies that we consider not good bodies? Who decides that that uh, escalera, no, that that direction, that hierarchy, and we know that, of course, it's influenced by white supremacy, colonialism, all these things, right? So when we start to acknowledge that there's this hierarchy, we start to realize that all bodies actually deserve, every person deserves to feel good about their bodies, to know that they are worthy of existing in this world. At the same time, and in tandem, is the idea that body positivity was not invented by these people. In fact, we are born body positive. We are born accepting and loving our bodies. We are taught that we shouldn't, right? We are taught that only that white person or only that skinny person or only that person with the straight hair is valuable. And then we begin in the search, in this battle with our body. So we are born with body positivity. And I also think it's really important to think about our ancestral communities. I was recently in Mexico talking with a a person from the Nahuatl community. And she was like, the word fat for us is a really good word. We know we want to be fat. We want to have healthy, happy, moving, strong bodies, right? So there's this idea that we, this is like body ups, uh, perceptions are like something that is socially constructed. And at the end of the day, also, I think that as moms, as people that have the new generation coming up, as soon as you have a baby, you know, and you realize like you want this person to like be loving of their body. And so you begin, that's how I began kind of this work of being like, how did we lose our way? How did we un- unlearn this relation that was positive around our bodies, right? Around food, around movement, around just being, right? Existing and knowing that however you are, you are okay. And when you learn that there's all this industry, right? The publicity industry, all kinds of industries that are trying to sell us this idea that our bodies are not good for a goal, then we realize that we can have a lot of power in interrupting that, right? And so a lot of the commitment around my activism and body positivity is around body positive parenting, the idea that we, our little kids deserve that. And, you know, of course, let's not talk about the intersection of like privilege and discrimination and the ways that our Latinx kids are receiving a message that they're not good in all these ways, right? So body positive is not just about body size. It's about all the ways that we are unique and all the ways that we are different and part of this huge diversity, right? And that is, for me, body positive body positivity centers body diversity. And we can hear, we are three different people with very different bodies and different characteristics. Let's celebrate all those things. Excellent. Quite a lot and lots of passion in, in, in how you approach it and you've educated us in many ways. So um, Dr. Jimenez, you know, as a so- sociology professor, I mean, I think Medium kind of touched on a couple of the, the things that are happening in the universe to teach us to hate our bodies. So what would you add to that? Give us that, like the sociology of it. I love hearing Medium. I love her passion and um, love the work that Medium does. I have so much respect and admiration and just hearing Medium talk and say, it just fills my heart. And I hope that the audience who's listening can feel that as well, because um, 
that's what we want to do, right, is, is transmit our passion and understanding how systems of oppression have led for us to disembody from our, from our bodies, from that positivity that we inherently have since we were born. From a sociological perspective, and Miriam, you know, addressed some of this as well, so I'm just going to accentuate some of these ideas, is understanding diet culture as a system, right? And to be very intentional from a um, Latina, as an immigrant, from the, this lens, from a social and racial justice lens, is really centering diet culture as a system of oppression, as a racist system that is rooted in ideologies of white supremacy, and I recently, I just, I said it, structural violence that deems bodies, certain bodies worthy and the norm. And Medium touched on this, you know, white bodies, thin bodies, heterosexual bodies, able bodies. These are the conversations that are missing in social media spaces, you know, um, the way that white influencers may be talking about diet culture is very different from the way that women of color are engaging in these conversations. And so if we understand that diet culture is, is structural and is systematic and it's this system that has actually been in place and it's been part of the formation of the nation of the United States, um, beginning and looking at um, black bodies, looking at black people and have these bodies have been coerced and have been violently used and oppressed and so forth um then looking at indigenous bodies and other bodies of color and um how in the creation of the nation state that had led to not only the displacement disenfranchisement all this is actually part of diet culture and so we need to have these courageous conversations and and center them it's it's moving away from the iceberg, right? What we see in the iceberg is lo de arriba, verdad? Y the diet culture, like, oh, the diets, the diet cycle, intuitive eating. Yeah, I can cover that. But if we go deep, right? Vamos a nadar, vamos hasta el fondo. Let's go down the ocean, right? Deep to the root. Yeah, you no queremos. And not everyone's willing to do that. But we women of color, nosotras sabemos porque nos impacta, sabemos esto. Entonces, that's the lens that I'm bringing in. It's institutional, systematic, and we need to begin to have these conversations to look at, to talk about why, you know, Latinas or women of color have eating disorders, why there's food insecurity, why X, Y, and Z, microaggressions. Todo eso tiene que ver con nuestros cuerpos, tiene que ver con la desigualdad en la sociedad, en la sociedad el racismo, la discriminación. Yeah, all that is connected to diet culture. Absolutely. Yeah, it's all connected. And this is why we wanted to talk a little bit about it, because if we can't be talking about immigrant rights, we can't be talking about um, anti-Black racism and all of these things without seeing the connection across all of these issues. And I think you've both eliminated how these are all interconnected. Now, I'd like to stick with you, Dr. Jimenez. Um, tell me, I know that you have, you're, you're your professor, but you're also st stepping into this, this space of um, occupying social media as a tool, as a vehicle to get these messages out. Um, I'd like for you to tell me a little bit of like, what is the unlearning? What are some of the the hardest things that um, as you're peeling back how much this diet culture shows up in our lives as Latinas, you know, what are some of the things that you first had to tackle and peel back? You know, it's such a simple question, but it's heavy. 
And it's personal, right? It's personal, right? Let's look at it, you know, as a sociologist and as a mujer, as a todo, all these different roles that we have that Western society and white supremacy says that we need to separate them. And I'm here to say, like, no, I'm, I'm all these intersections. And what it is, is we were not born hating our bodies. So at the individual level, we think of the family as a social institution and the role that family has in perpetrating oppression. And how does that look like is, estás gorda, estás flaca, siempre hay un problema con tu cuerpo, con tu personalidad, con tu ser. So when you hear messages that are not embracing of who you are, and then the second institution is the media, and then you hear all these other messages in the media that tell you what to look. It's just like this binary of like, family says, señorita, calladita, te miras más bonita, tienes que ser virgen, todas estas cosas, all this stuff, right? And then you have the media saying, oh, you have to be sexually active. You have to, you need to know cómo conquistar el hombre, you know, like the heterosexism, the heterosexuality, right? The, so it's just like, wait, I'm getting competing messages. Oh, wait, and then the institution of religion, right? Otra cosa, te tienes que casar virgen, tienes que casarte con un hombre, tienes, you know, so then, right, so all these institutions are sending us different messages, right? And if at home, we don't get the love and care and honoring of who you are as a person and your body, then you are vulnerable to the rest of society, right? To all these other institutions that are going to transmit oppressive messages. And you may get lost in that process and then you begin to diet, right? That's where, that's the iceberg. That's where you begin to like, oh, then you're gonna start a diet so you can shrink your body to fit, to be more socially accepted to X, Y, and Z, right? So I guess that's my short answer. Yeah, but, I mean, I think the answer is that it's so interconnected. Everything is, and it's so deeply personal. So I wanna honor and recognize your vulnerability in this space because I could tell that for both of you, for me as well, right? On all of our listeners, it's very, very personal to be navigating these competing messages, and especially as Latinas that, you know, ni santa ni puta, right? We know, we know what that means. So, so medium, um, I love, and you both sort of touched on this, that we're, we're, we're born loving our bodies. It makes me think of the yoga pose, happy baby, you know, like you, babies love their roles and they, and they're happy and they're not thinking about the messages that are about to hit them once they're coherent and able to understand. So, um, talk to me more about this, about this notion of, um, loving your body from, from, from the onset and how you've, how you've uncovered that path back. And because this is what I see in the, the work that you do, Medium, is that you're showing us a way back to that. I mean, I, I want to be clear that there's a lot of compassion here because, um, because it is a societal problem, right? This, this idea of hating our bodies is like, you know, we've said religion and economy and racism and colonialism and all these different things, right? So um, if you're hearing this and you're like, I cannot see myself in a mirror, I cannot be in the photos, I hate my belly, mi panza, that's like the number one thing, right? Everybody is, we hate our panza, right? This part of our body that we all have, right? So if you're hearing this and you're like, I have that, just know that this is something that is 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 very systemic, right? And it's generational. And um, I think one of the biggest parts for me of this activism is kind of learning about uh, fat phobia. I mean, fat phobia at its core is the idea that people in larger bodies are inferior, right? And I want us to really kind of highlight that because this is, I mean, in a society that we're, you know, people who are in social justice, we know if you think another human being is inferior, that is the source of the violence that we've seen in all forms, right? So 
Um, you know, diet culture really has those roots that you think you you cannot have that fat body. And if you have a fat body, imagine all the people we have fat bodies living our life thinking we are inferior. Like that is sort of the pervasive thing. Um, what I think about, uh, you know, being born body positive, and I mean, again, let's not get stuck with the words. I feel like if people do body neutral, there's a lot of ways I use body positive because I love this idea for my child to know that he is good. I know how he is, right? So I use that word, but if you're listening, use whatever words you, you have. Um, I really feel like there's a power in social media. I do, I do think that there's this incredible thing. My whole feed is filled with fat people of all kinds, of people with disability, of people of all different skin colors and all kinds of things. And I think that it's a huge reminder, right, of the that we are diverse. We've always been diverse. It's always been diversity and you are part of it. You're not up here or down here, you're just one enormous part of that. So one, that's one piece. I think reading, reading and educating myself about the impact of fat phobia, about weight stigma, about the racist history of fat phobia. Um, I think one of the, the, I think one of the premier books around uh, self-love um, is The Body is Not an Apology by uh, Sonia Renee Taylor. She kind of explains a little bit about this, about this that we are not learn. You're not learning from me about being body positive. You're just learning to recognize the messages that told you you were not good enough, right? That that is the the goal is you have it. You it it's already in you, right? Um, and it's not kind of like it's not kind of going back. It's going forward. It's sort of like kind of weeding through this mess, right? I think there's so many books, right? Naomi Wolf as well has one um, that is just a, this idea of like, as soon as you start recognizing, why do you shave? Do you shave because you like it or because someone told you that women should not have hairy legs, right? And it's like, as soon as you start seeing like, who benefits from you hating your body, you hating your eyebrows? I think one of the biggest things right now, the curly hair movement, how many black and Latina women have done, I mean, just have not loved their hair because they were not given any products that were for their hair. They, they were not giving any, you know, and now we're seeing this like embracing of this beautiful thing that you are. You have curly hair. It is not good or it is bad. It's just, it just is, right? So um, it's sort of like really being part of a culture that is helping us see how we were brought up on body hate and what we need to do in our own lives, right? Also, I think it's really important to recognize privilege. You know, I'm a white Latina. I don't live with my suegra who's constantly attacking me for my weight or my son's food, right? Like there's people are living in a lot of different spaces. And I recognize it's a huge privilege in sort of being like, I let's, let's love ourselves. And it's not, it's not as superficial as that. It really is profound. It, there is nothing more radical than knowing that you are, as you are beautiful, incredible, and powerful. Do you want to hang out with us in person? You're invited to Self Love Con Corazon, an evening of a conversation, workshop, and connecting. Uncover the limitations or stories that may be getting in the way of fulfilling self love. Learn tools to start to break past these limitations and stories and identify and set powerful intentions for the rest of the year. This is happening on Thursday, February 23rd, starting at 6.30 p.m. Give yourself plenty of time to find parking. The program will officially start around 7. This will be at the Pop Hub, an independent bookshop and creative learning space that amplifies marginalized voices in Highland Park. Plus, our good friends at Good Juju Coffee, a family-owned coffee maker, will have giveaways and cafe de olla. Support them at goodjujucoffee.com. 
Self Love Con Corazón is a donation-based event, and you can reserve your seat today at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. And once again, this is on Thursday, February 23rd at the Pop Hub in Highland Park. Ana Shayla and I love reading books, and we love supporting Latina-led small businesses. You can join us in doing both by ordering books from sholobooks.com. Sholo Books amplifies intersectional and anti-colonialist literature written by Black, Indigenous, and people of color through the selling, promotion, and celebration of books from around the world. Right now, you can order books like Olga Dies Dreaming, You Sound Like a White Girl, and Paras Chicas Fuertes de Corazón Tierno y Piel Canela, the Spanish version of For Brown Girls with Sharp Edges and Tender Hearts. You can get 10% off your entire order when you use the offer code TAMARINDO at checkout. That's TAMARINDO, all caps, at checkout at sholobooks.com. And you can also get the link to this bookstore both on our website and on the notes of this episode. This has been a fantastic conversation, so much to unpack, and, and it's a, it's messy, right? It's so messy to navigate, to go under, do, to literally scuba dive and see the bottom of that iceberg. So you all have given us so much to think about. So I want to ask each of you, these are the questions that we ask all of our guests, and it doesn't have to be related to, to body positivity or diet culture. It could be whatever you'd like. So I want to ask each of you, what is one thing that you are celebrating? And I'll start with Medium. I am celebrating that I'm working on a podcast and it's a podcast that covers all things fat, kind of really demystifying some of these beliefs that are behind what diet culture is. Yes, we can't wait. We love it. We love it. And for you, Dr. Jimenez, what's one thing that you're celebrating? What gets your matraca? In alignment with Medium, I just actually released my podcast yesterday. Um, it's called Dismantling Diet Culture, Fuck Being Calladita. And so it's oh, looking love at it. exactly about these conversations. Perfect. So we got a couple of podcasts to subscribe to. We can't wait to listen to both of these. Now, uh, sticking with you, Dr. Jimenez, what's one thing that you're done with canceling, putting in la basura? Uh, que ya no más, no more being silenced, that our voices are needed uh, as women of color. So to continue telling my truth and th the lens in which I see diet culture. Excellent. And Miriam, what are you putting in la basura? I'm putting in la basura, replicating the things that have harmed us. Like we all know, we all know the crítica, right? La de estas gorditas, de peso, and we've all lived it. And now it's our time to darle moche, ya no más. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, yes. And now, lastly, Medium, how do you stay grounded? Where do you get your calma? Um, I get my calma from moving my body. And that's why I talk about movement for all bodies, because, you know, it's not for weight loss. It's for like being able to live my life the way I want to live, being able to parent the way I want to parent. Yes, the, the joy of moving our bodies. And Dr. Jimenez, how do you stay grounded? How do you get your calma? Two things, two awesome movement. I enjoy that very much. And I like to spend time in my altar and play my flute and my drum and just ground myself spiritually. Oh, I love that. So an altar and playing the drums. Beautiful. I love it. Well, thank you so, so much. I'm going to give you one last chance uh, for any like last parting message that you want to leave our listeners with. And I'll start with Medium. I want to leave you with this. Uh, all of this is a process. 
every bit of our, our, our trying to have a better life for ourselves and our kids is a process. No one is in the other side. So if you're just starting to hear about diet culture or you've lived it or all these things, just know that you can just start in the process and, and be in community with a lot of people who are doing this, you know, dismantling unlearning work. Yes, I'm really glad you you mentioned that because uh, I know Anna Shayla loves to remind folks to be gracious with themselves. And as we're unlearning and unpacking this, I mean, there, you have no idea how many times I've felt like, oh, I know about pushing against diet culture, but then I'll still catch myself perpetuating it. Right? And then you're like, ah. And so if you're at that stage where you're at least identifying and doing the, ah, you know, that's already progress. And yes, take your time. We're, we're all unlearning this together. And Dr. Jimenez, what is your final message to our listeners today? To be compassionate in your journey, wherever you are in your life, that self-compassion is hard work. It's hard work. Be compassionate with yourself because society is not compassionate. So you have to do that with yourself. And know that this compassion is a journey and that your journey is not linear, right? So there might be events, things that happen that might trigger you from your childhood or something in your life. And you may feel that you're taking a step back or que estás retrocediendo, you're going back, but you're not. So know that healing is not linear and you are wherever you need to be in your journey and your journey is beautiful and unique. Excellent conversation. Excellent tips from Anna Shayla. This has been a fabulous conversation. And I just want to tell you all, thank you for listening. And please write us a review. Share this episode with a friend. We want to grow. And we really thank all of you for listening. Yes, yes, yes. And if you are in LA, we're so excited to get to see you live on February 23rd at the Pop Hop at 6.30 p.m., PST, obviously, because we're in California. And I'm just excited. And I'll be back in L.A., y'all. So if y'all are in L.A., you'll see me there. Maybe you'll see me on the streets. Say hi, if, if you know what I look like. I'm just excited to be back and, and be in community with everyone, whether it's in your ears or in person. So love y'all. Yes, yes. All right. Bye. Abrazos, besos. Ciao. Tamarindo Podcast is Brenda Gonzalez and Anasheila Victorino. Our producers are Mitzi Hernandez and Augusto Martinez of Sonoro Media. Our theme song is by Jeff Ricards. If you want to support our work, please rate and review Tamarindo Podcast on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with a friend. Get in touch with us at tamarindopodcast.com. Cuando mi arrendador dijo que el alquiler podría ser más barato si fuéramos amigos con beneficios. Había oído hablar de acoso sexual en el lugar de trabajo, pero en mi casa. Eso es discriminación en la vivienda basada en el sexo. La gente de bienes raíces dijo que estaríamos más cómodos viviendo en un vecindario diferente con gente como nosotros. Por suerte conocíamos nuestros derechos. Es ilegal asustar a los posibles propietarios para que se alejen de ciertos vecindarios en función de raza o nacionalidad. Si usted cree que sufrió discriminación o tiene preguntas sobre sus derechos, comuníquese con Fair Housing Foundation, Fundación de Vivienda Justa, al 800-446-3247 o también en línea en fhfca.org. La vivienda justa es su derecho. Este es un anuncio de servicio público de Fair Housing Foundation y respaldado por el Departamento de Vivienda y Desarrollo Urbano HUD bajo la subvención de FIPPI, FPEI 220099.